Hey, it's Andrew. Miles is here too. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. So as we've been covering COVID-19 and doing all this kind of stuff, we've been trying to keep the ads out of the podcast. But one thing that we did want to mention is that if you want to support local journalism, if you want to support what we're doing here, if these updates have been useful for you, one thing that you can do to help us out right now is to buy something from our shop. We have a really cool shop at doorcountypulse.com slash shop. And there's a lot of really cool stuff on there. Yeah, we have great posters from our art director, Ryan Miller of the Door County state parks we have posters of the door county lighthouses the two volume door county living in pictures books and a lot of other great stuff even stickers like if you buy a sticker all of those purchases go to help support this podcast and the work we do each week with the peninsula pulse sending the news out to every mailbox in the county and we can do all that for free when you do that you're supporting the work we're doing here and the weekly edition of the Peninsula Pulse. Once again, that is doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going all right, Andrew. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. It's Sunday as we're recording this, so there's a couple of things to talk about. Uh, We should jump right into the numbers right away. Uh, And then I also kind of want to talk about unemployment, because for a lot of people, this is going to be their first uh, filing of unemployment today in Wisconsin. So why don't we start with the numbers in uh, the United States, and then we'll uh, we'll go on from there. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, the Door County and Kewanee County remain uh, zero cases, which is great news. On the flip side, Wisconsin continues to see a, an increase. Again, another 120 some cases today. We're still sitting at 13 deaths related to, to the COVID-19 illness. And um, we're still seeing the most cases in that Milwaukee, Waukesha area. More than half of the state's cases are, are out of Milwaukee County. And then another 100 are out of Waukesha. Nationwide, uh, the numbers in the U.S. continue to skyrocket, over 135,000 now, almost more than 2,400 dead. New York accounts for roughly half of, a little less than half of those total cases. It's doubling really fast, which is a a sign of that spread. We're now up to well over 700,000 cases worldwide. Do you know what New York is doing in terms of their efforts to to stop the spread at all? I had heard that they're not doing very much, but at the same time, I'm not quite sure. They've got a pretty severe lockdown in the city. Um, I know they've made some big efforts to try and force people to stay inside. I think a lot of people, at least friends I've talked to in New York City, are, are staying very locked down, but there are still a lot of people who are flaunting the order and trying to play basketball games and and gather outside. But just like Wisconsin, they've got a lot of the same same orders we do. I think New York has 965 dead so far in the state of New York, and it's it's continuing to rise over 100,000 cases a day now. So right. worldwide. So numbers not looking particularly exciting today, uh, but we still have no cases near Door County, which is a good thing. Anything else about the numbers? You, you were talking to me a little bit about how Italy is still continuing to be pretty concerning in terms of uh, their numbers. Yeah, they're well over 10,000 dead now. Uh, they're still reporting five to 600 new cases every single day and about 700 new deaths every single day. It's just, it's crazy how much the, the ground rules change with this because two weeks ago, we were already saying, oh, we don't want to be going through what Italy is going through. And at that time, Italy was a few hundred dead and hospital is getting a little overwhelmed and it was starting to get scary and that seemed really bad well now those days seem really quaint and 
the days of the U.S. having its first case or Wisconsin having one case all seem very, very long ago. Right. Um, I talked to my brother in Belgium this morning. They are in a very hardcore lockdown now. Basically, they're, when his wife delivers food to her mom, she brings sanitizer, wipes down the door handle, wipes down everything she touches, uh, knocks on the door, leaves, it out, leaves food outside the door, groceries outside the door, and then goes home. Uh, she does not does not have any face-to-face contact with her mom right now, just trying mm-hmm. to be as safe as possible. So um, they're taking it very seriously. And for those who who might have known my brother when he lived here, he's not he's not the guy to be like the ultra sanitary, freaked out kind of guy, but he is taking this very seriously just from what they're seeing over there. I think they're up over 500 dead in Belgium now, and that's a really small country. So um, right. what you're seeing in New York, by the way... More than 20% of their positive tests are requiring hospitalizations. And the more and more you look at this, I mean, a lot of people are really focused on the the fatality rate. And that that's scary just because that's the ultimate fear that we all have. But from a policy standpoint, from a from a why do you lock down standpoint, it's not the fatality rate, it's it's the hospitalization rate. So if you have that many people being hospitalized, even if they aren't dying in your area, it is overwhelming the hospital system and forcing other people who might have needed treatment for any other reason, they, there's no space for them. So, Right. Yeah. That's the big thing that I want to try to hammer home. It's been something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that if the hospitals are overwhelmed with COVID-19 cases, they don't have any room to treat anybody else who's going through certain things. So it's not just about pre- preventing yourself from getting COVID-19. It's also trying to stay healthy as best you can so that you don't come down with anything else that would require a doctor's visit or hospitalization. Um, Trying to be safe, not being reckless. Uh, You don't want to break a leg right now if your hospital can't take you in. Things like that that you wouldn't necessarily think about during the lockdown, but there are other things that are kind of inching up into the top of my mind. You know, as somebody... I don't think I've said this on the podcast before, but um, my wife and I are expecting our first child. Hooray! <laughs> In the grand scheme of things, this is a, a minor concern, but I, you know, it's something that weighs on our heads as we look ahead to we're doing in June, and you don't know. All right, what is the situation going to be at that point? And we have friends who have fled major cities because they're not a. They don't feel comfortable going into those hospitals right now to give birth. B. If they go in to give birth, their spouse can't be in the hospital with them and right. those kind of restrictions. So it's even from somebody looking at this from three months out, that is on the back burner of my mind right now is like, what is the situation we're going to be facing when it comes time to have our child? And right. then you see the reports today of the first first child in the U.S. to die of the coronavirus, uh, the first baby, uh, an infant in Chicago. So there's a lot of things that for, for so many other medical reasons that you now have as part of your calculus. Um, right. It's crazy, crazy times. <laughs> so it is Sunday as we're recording this, and uh, Wisconsinites are filing for unemployment today, many of them for the first time. If you didn't go to work on Monday, this is probably your first time filing for unemployment. It's my wife's first time doing it. And as she was trying this morning around nine o'clock or so, uh, the CARES Act has not gone into effect for unemployment. So you are not seeing that, you know, potential $600 boost that you might see next week if the CARES Act goes into effect. So if this is your first time filing unemployment and you were you were hoping to see a, a higher 
check coming through. Uh, that might not be the case this week. Hopefully things will change next week. But as, as far as I know from this morning, it has not taken effect in Wisconsin. So no, that's, a, that's a good point. And I've never filed for unemployment before, so I've, I've never even gone through the process. I've been a, as a boss, I've had people who have filed for unemployment before and like the restaurant industry or I've seen people who come in and they're doing their cursory job search report where you have to sign on and say yes this person did come in and ask for a job and we didn't have one kind of thing but other than that I don't really know much about the unemployment filing process so are you learning a lot more about this Andrew as as your family is going through this yes so have you ever um gotten really excited about a new product release or, or something that was going to go up online at a certain time and you were really excited to see it or try <laughs> to buy it. Like if you ever tried to buy sneakers online, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, the, it's going to go live at this time and I got to get in right away and try to get it before it's gone. It is similar to that right now. Not in that you can run out of unemployment, uh, but there is a time window. I think it's like from... I don't know, six to five or something like that. Uh, So you have a good portion of the day to do it on Sunday, but you have so many people logging in, especially right now to file unemployment, that the website is crashing constantly, which is the same thing that you would see on like a sneaker drop. (laughs) Yeah, I have heard that, um, that, you know, none of these, none of these states, and it's hard to complain about it because none of these systems were were built with the expectation of processing 3.3 million unemployment claims in a single week which is what happened last week and maybe even higher this week. The New York Times had a great front page story with a a graphic of just kind of unemployment claims by week through time. And then basically that jump last week, the graph had to cover the entire front page to to show just how high that was. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. So uh, Victoria's going through that. I'm sure many of our listeners are going through that today as well. Uh, I wish everybody the best of luck that they're able to get in and get through everything easily. Uh, I have. I, I don't know when the last time Victoria checked was, but this morning when they opened, things were pretty, it, it was pretty tough to get through to the pages that you needed to get through to. Uh, and then at one point, the website just shut down and said that they were going to be offline for 20 minutes. So <laughs> uh, hopefully things are working out and you're able to get what you need from there. Any other updates this week before we jump into kind of our last little uh, thing that we wanted to talk about? Uh, Sure. There was one encouraging thing is that Abbott Technologies out of the Chicago area is releasing a five-minute COVID-19 test that they're hoping to ramp up and be producing, I think, 50,000 of those a day next week. That's one of the better pieces of news that have come out so far. I mean, if if that test works, that could go a long way toward fixing this testing gap that we have all over the country. Right. And obviously returning results that quickly would be amazing. Um, There's also, but there's still questions about like getting the the number of swabs that states need. There's questions about the reagents that they need for some of these tests. So this one, I'm not not sure exactly how it would work, but one positive note in this (laughs) crazy time, although on the flip side, there are reports out of China that, and I think another country that people who have recovered from the virus are getting it again. So there are questions about the immunity. Yeah, I saw that today. I actually saw a doctor on Twitter that was trying to clarify that. And from my understanding, uh, it doesn't look like that's necessarily the case. I I don't think it's cut and dry. Like people who recover can get it again. I think there's um, like one thing that he mentioned is like on the tail end of your recovery, you're still going to have some of the viral agents in your system. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're still sick with it. It just means it's still there. Hmm. 
So I, I would I encourage people to to keep an eye on that news as it comes out, because from what I'm understanding, that might not be the case. But but definitely, um, definitely look into that. for well, sure. Let's hope not, because <laughs> that would be a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. One last thing that we wanted to chat about. We are used to writing articles about Door County. It's what we do every day. Does it feel strange to you to read articles about Door County from outside of Door County, Miles, as the editor of The Pulse? Sometimes. It, I, I think it's it's pretty interesting to see what other people's perspective on our county is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you, even when you see someone write about it for like Food and Wine magazine and what what a travel writer or a food writer comes in and what what intrigues them. And what impresses them is always pretty interesting when you've just grown up here and know all these restaurants and places just kind of as, you know, hey, that's our neighborhood spot. And then somebody comes in and writes about it and, and this place is amazing. And you're like, wow, it's just Swedish pancakes. What's, what's the big deal? <laughs> right. But, um, I totally felt that watching the Disney Plus episode of Encore that was shot up here about Gibraltar because like most of my job is making films about Door County and and shooting video up here. So seeing what a a film production company outside of the county highlighted as their important areas was really interesting. Some of them were like, yeah, right on. That's definitely a Door County icon. Uh, But then some of them were like, huh, that's a really interesting shot. I wonder why they thought that was indicative of the county. Yeah, uh, like one of them was the the little bridge in Fish Creek uh, from Not Licked Yet, that kind of like water that flows under there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was one of their shots. And I was like, that's such a weird shot to grab. <laughs> of, of all <laughs> the places. Right. So the New York Times put out an article this week uh, called We Are Trying to Protect Our Own, The Towns Keeping Part-Timers Out, uh, which focuses in on Door County. And uh, the way that it's presented was really interesting. Let me check it there. Interesting is one way to put it. I yeah. I would say ridiculous. The thrust of the article is that Door County is encouraging like second property owners or, or visitors to Door County to stay where they are right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we've talked about this plenty on the on the podcast and our views on it as, as people who live here, right? Uh, it makes total sense to encourage people not to come up. That being said, uh, it, it's a tough it's a tough thing to do, right? Uh, for a couple different reasons. Number one, tourists are the lifeblood of our economy up here. Of course, there's not a whole lot of economic stimulation that's going on right now, uh, but property owners pay taxes up here and it's hard to tell them not to come to their second homes. We encourage people on the podcast that if you're going to come up here to get your supplies from where you're from, don't try to jump into the gas stations and the grocery stores up here. Uh, and then once you are up here to practice social distancing, to stay inside, all that kind of stuff, or, or to stay at home, don't go out to places. The The way that the New York Times article presents this is a little bit different. Uh, what were your takeaways from reading through this? Well, I I guess I should preface this by saying, like, I understand how hard it a journalist's job is, especially to go into a different community and be given a short deadline and try and come away with an accurate representation of of either the issue or especially an entire community. It's, it's like this parachute journalism where they send someone in and you're supposed to come away in 24 hours with a look at the community. And in this case, 
I believe this one was all done by phone. So as as so much journalism is being done right now, because you don't want to be having these one on one interactions with people. And I also like generally, if people don't know this, like as a, a journalism rule of thumb is like get at least three sources for any story. If you can get more than that, even better. And one thing that colors the journalism we do at The Pulse is the fact that not only do you have your sources, but you also have all of the other conversations that you have in this community every day that inform a story. But this appeared to me to be a three-source story. And as somebody who has been involved in a lot of these meetings that that made these decisions to encourage people not to come and who has been writing about this all the way through, I was just really shocked by the framing of the story through the lens of politics and property rights, which right. as someone who is in these meetings, I never heard anyone bring up politics, Republican, Democrat, anything like that. And I don't I never heard anyone bring up, and maybe I missed it and somebody can correct me, but um, at the Sister Bay meeting where they first broached this topic, it wasn't about property rights either. And it was all about how do we protect the elderly in our community? That was the major thrust of this. So when it put, gets put out there as like, keep out, we're, we're protecting our own. It, the, the message, it's like a sensationalist headline when the real message was, we have an old population that's twice the that has twice as many people over 65 as 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 a state average. And we have a couple of large nursing homes and not a lot of resources. And we really need to focus our efforts on protecting those people as much as we can. That was basically how this was going down. And the New York Times article framed it as keep out, we're, we're keeping to our own. And it's somehow a property rights and politics uh, story. Like why they even asked John Lowry who he voted for, like that, <laughs> it really shocked me. And I, and I know John and I know he was surprised by it too. I don't know. Right. I just thought it was, I, and don't, I'm not a New York times basher. The New York times does most of the best journalism in the country. Politics aside, they, they usually have some really great investigative work. Um, and they have really high standards, no matter what some people might think about all the media. But this, this piece was just uh, your classic parachute journalism come away and you get your impression from three conversations instead of talking to a wide swath of people and really knowing what people are talking about on the ground. Yeah, the two issues that I had with it were just like the narrative framing. It basically puts John Lowry as the the voice of the county up against this woman who owns property up here. And it almost paints it almost paints it as like a like isn't it so sad that she's not able to escape the virus to go to her second home and like cool down like isn't it so sad that she's not able to do that it, it makes her kind of the like the sympathetic character in this which just feels weird right it feels weird to narratively put them at odds with each other. When at the end of the article, the woman even says that she decided to stay home because she wants to do what's best for the community up here. So it's like, they, they're not at odds. They want the same thing. Yeah. I And the other thing was John Lowry, great guy, known him for years. First of all, in, in the Times article, it says he moved here 30 years ago. It's been more than 50. And it says half of his neighbors are over 65. It's, it's 30% of the population is over 65. So that tick me off too, just because it's easy to research those things. Well, and the, the biggest problem that I had with it is trying to read it like somebody who either has never been to Door County or is outside of the county right now. There's one 
there's one part in particular that seems weird to me. I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, people started joking about shutting down access to bridges that lead to the northern part of the peninsula. As the days passed, the jokes turned serious with texts and emails sent to officials calling for checkpoints at the county borders to block anyone with out-of-state driver's licenses from entering. People were getting scared. It does not clarify at all that that didn't happen. So if you're reading this from outside of the county, you're coming away with this idea that, yeah, we actually have closed the county down and we're turning people away at the bridges. No, if anything, which is not what's happening. Door County has gently asked people to please not come for a little while. That is what the message was. It was not, we're shutting down the bridges exactly like you just pointed out. Like that's a, that's a great point, Andrew, in that we don't have checkpoints. We haven't raised the bridges. Nobody is stopping anybody. Yeah, there is some online vitriol. There's some people on Twitter who I got in a spat with yesterday and some people on on Facebook who are going over the top. But I always I just try to remind people like, hey, we yes, I agree. I, I've helped draft some of these statements. We do want people to stay home. But if they come here, let's quit being pricks. OK, they're if they're here, they're here. Let's like Chris Hecht is doing. All right. If you're here, here's what you need to do. Quarantine yourself. Stay home. And we have resources here to help you get what you need. Do not leave your house until we, you know that you're clean. Don't right. don't bring this disease up here and spread it. We'll help you. Like that's really what Door County is doing. But this framing that's out there is is like this us against them mentality. The reality is our hospitals, Scandia Village itself, things like the auditorium, almost most of the main things that we love and that we take pride in up here are funded by donors who were not full-time year-round residents of this place but they were second homeowners or vacationers who love this place and put their money here. And then so much of their, our tax base is paid by them, by them. So I think like when we, when we talk about this, I, I would encourage everybody to slow your roll, be a little more patient and, and treat these people the way you might want to be treated. If you went to some other place in a time that you were scared. And I think it's right. a compliment that people want that see door County and our community as that welcoming that they, that this is their safe place. So yeah. granted, that's not, I've, I've said this on the podcast, I've written it, like we don't have a lot of resources, so we don't want to encourage people to come here, but there's no wall down there, there's no blockade. And when this author references like, as if it was this deluge of messages and calls to lift the bridges, it was more in the officials I all talked to, it was a few people here and there and some, and it, it wasn't like joking conversation. It was like, hey, do we, do we actually need to consider do we close the county? Can we do that legally? I don't know. And like, same thing on the island. That's the way that, should we do this? It's not like knee-jerk discussion of this. It's what's the best thing for the health of our community and what's the best way to keep people safe? And right. I, I just, yeah, I've clearly, I am I have expressed that. <laughs> it, it irked me. Um, and I, I don't like to just rag on another publication or another journalist, especially from a publication I greatly admire. But I just think they got it wrong. Well, Miles, I think that that's just about going to do it for us today. It has been uh, it's been a pretty hard weekend. It sounds like the the numbers are not encouraging, but hopefully we'll be able to come back tomorrow with some more uplifting news uh, and have some fun stuff for people to hear about as the week goes on. We're coming up to April first, uh, so hopefully we'll be able to find some humor in all of this uh, to keep us going. Thank you, Miles, for chatting with me today, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Andrew.